I'm Dr. Nicole Byers, clinical psychologist and brain health expert, and you're listening to The Bold Life Podcast, the podcast for working moms who are feeling stressed out and overwhelmed trying to do it all. As a working mom with big career dreams, I know what it's like to not have enough time in the day and to lack the skills and confidence to reach your goals. I have spent years understanding how our brains work and learning what holds us back from having the courage to reach our dreams. Each week, I'll be sharing practical strategies to help you find more time in your day, build your confidence, fight back against mom guilt, and reach your goals. If you want to learn how to thrive both at home and at work, you're in the right place. Hello, and welcome to the Bold Life Podcast. Today, we're joined by a special guest, business coach, Muriel Marie, to talk about how to get out of the habit of relentless productivity and how to set goals for ourselves, not goals we think we should have based on the expectations of others. Muriel calls herself a mentor to the unconventional. As a multi-passionate creative herself, she has more than 22 years of entrepreneurial experience. Everything from building a web agency to founding startups, investing in cryptocurrency, and for the past seven years, she's been creating a successful online coaching business. She helps folks who struggle with overwhelm, insecurities, perfectionism, and procrastination transform their mindset and raise their confidence so they can finally put a plan together to take action and achieve their dreams. Helping people take charge and thrive as leaders is what makes Muriel get out of bed in the morning, but so does unraveling the mysteries of the universe, taking long walks around her neighborhood, rocking blondie t-shirts on 10x stages, and visiting libraries around the world. Welcome, Muriel. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for this beautiful introduction and for having me. I'm so happy to be here today. I am super excited to talk to you as well. So maybe can you get us started and tell us a little bit about what really got you interested in working in this area? Mm, yes, thank you so much. That's such a beautiful question, I think, to get started with. So you you gave this beautiful introduction. So um, I've been an entrepreneur pretty much my entire life. I, um, I did study philosophy at university. So I, I've had this, you know, interest, interest in the human mind and psychology and, you know, what gets us to do things or not do things like that's been with me my entire life. But, um, a lot of it, especially transitioning into the coaching business in the past seven years really has to do with my personal journey, um, the struggles that I faced, the challenges that I had to go through, and certainly also the difficulty that I experienced as a child. I think it's only after my parents passed, which happened, well, actually, in, in, in the next, in two weeks' time, it's going to be 11 years now that they, they passed uh, five weeks uh, apart from each other, first my mom and then my father that things really started to change for me. And so that's a little bit the culmination. So the, the coaching business I run now, which I call an integrative career and business uh, coaching practice, really is the culmination of all of my interests, all of the stuff I went through, and all of the entrepreneurial projects and careers I've had before this. Yeah, I love that. And I, I would love to hear more about what that transition was like 
for you. I know something I heard you say before is that when your parents passed away, you realized that up until that time, you'd been doing things you felt like you should be doing. Can can you talk about that and what that was like? Yes. Yes. That was so eye-opening for me. So, of course, when my parents passed, it was a really difficult time, especially so close, you know, one to the other. You're not you're not even really starting to grieve the right. the disappearance of one of them. And then the other one passes as well. So it was a really strange period. And what I realized was that I'd always really tried to gain, especially my father's love, who was someone who was battling a lot of personal demons, who had had a very tough life growing up, and who found a way to deal with that in working very hard. Of course, he was also battling addictions and stuff like that. So that's another side of that story. But what I picked up was the fact that he was working 24-7 and he was really just always busy. And so the way that I internalized that was to say, well, you know, apparently working really hard and, you know, being busy all the time is the way to go. So that's really what I started doing. But then when they passed, I went through, you know, what is called like the dark night of the soul. So for me, that lasted about two years. I was very depressed. I I, I was running my web agency at the time. So luckily, the agency continued to operate, but that was pretty much the only thing that I was able to do at the time. But then coming out of that, It had been a period of so much soul searching and so much figuring out that I'd really done things only based on thinking that I had to do them, but not really giving myself any time or any, you know, space to really figure out what I wanted to do for myself. And that's really when it clicked for me that a lot of us, inherit, and I call them inherited dreams. You know, we all inherit these dreams that we think are ours, but they really aren't. They're the internalized messages, even the internalized pictures of what we've seen around us. And then we think this is what I'm supposed to do. So we equate that with this is what I want to do. And then that becomes our goal, our dream, and we go after that. But there is such a disconnect that at a certain moment, something has to snap because it's not sustainable. You can't continue to try and achieve something that you didn't dream, you know, to begin with. Yeah, I really like that. I wrote it down, inherited dreams. I think that's a great phrase to use. And I know we've talked on this uh, about this on the show before is that so often, just like you're saying, we get into these patterns that we don't even realize we have based on things that we've internalized or learned through our experiences, right? Often that's experiences from our family. You know, how did our family approach work? What were our family's beliefs about hard work and dedication and commitment and jobs and, and all these things that we just, we just do without even thinking about them. And unfortunately, like your experience, it often takes something to shift that, right? Some experience where we we have that moment to really challenge those beliefs and see the world in a different way. I agree. And I think that's the thing, right? You need to have that moment of ignition. You know, for some people, it's an itch or it can be an event, like in my case, or it's a feeling or it's a situation that makes you feel like 
something isn't right here. Like there must be something else. And and what's really interesting is, you know, doing this work now for so many years and having gone through it myself, what I realize is pretty much everybody gets to a point where they're like, mm, I'm missing something. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people just continue. They just go and, and they continue to do what they've always done just because they, it's so complicated to step out of that and to, you know, try to like turn around and look at it because you're standing in the middle of it. Can you share a bit about how you did that yourself? So you come to this realization, you know, I've been doing all this stuff because I felt like I should based on these beliefs I learned from my parents. What do you do next? What do you do with that? <laughs> a lot of agony. <laughs> right? Yeah, I can imagine. So, so there was the itch, right? In my case, there was this decisive moment. And then these two years sort of that I was really like, not feeling like myself. Then you have to have the courage to follow what you've seen or felt. So there is this moment where you have to make a decision for yourself. At least that's how it's been for me. Where you say, okay, you know, I've, I've felt this, I've seen this, I'm going to do something with it. And then you have to go, and I think this is the hardest part, in search of your true desires. Because we've talked about the shoulds before, right? And so when you're so used to following other people's shoulds, what you but lose is the connection with your own, with yourself, with your dreams, with your desires, right? And that was certainly true for me. The only thing I knew how to do was to follow rules. And even the inter- a lot of them were internalized, right? It's not like I had people around me saying, you have to do this. I, I just did that to myself. Like, it was really easy for me just to say, you have to do all of that. And so you have to go and look for what is it that I really want? But the trouble is, it's really hard when you haven't looked at that for a long time, and maybe never. Some people just, you know, follow rules for, for many, many years. So I had to learn to be comfortable with that very uncomfortable place of not knowing and still trying things out, because you have to go out and do something. Yes. Which is super hard. I agree. That is a really hard place to be in. And we've talked about that before on the show as well, about how our brains, they want to be comfortable, right? And to say, I'm actually going to put myself in this place where I know I'm going to be uncomfortable because I know in the long term, that's good for me. But right now it is really, really hard to do. Absolutely. And you know, I think that a lot of breaking through internalized beliefs and limiting beliefs and even, you know, healing emotional wounds and things like that. So I'm, I'm stepping away a little bit um, from, from just the shoulds. But what I found in my work is that very often below those shoulds, there is pain. And you need to be willing to get uncomfortable in order to be able to change your behavior because we're so used and conditioned into the reactions that we have to certain events that we choose them over something that could be much better in the long run, but that in the short term just feels really difficult and harder than the place we're at, even if that place is really not, not very good for us. Absolutely. Right? So, And I think that's a natural sort of tendency we have. But so I like to stretch that. And so another thing 
to come back to your question that really helped me was to do a lot of exercises, to really think like to, I journaled a lot. I asked myself plenty of questions about what it is. What do you really want? And there was one book, a pivotal book for me in my transformation, which is called Wishcraft from Barbara Sher. I don't know if you ever heard of her. No, I haven't. So I consider her the godmother of multi-passionate creative. Okay. She was the first, so Wishcraft is a book she wrote in the 80s. It's So it's a little dated, but it's still so relevant in all the exercises she asks you to do when you read it. And she really tapped into what do you really want? And so I did all of the exercises. And when I was finished with that book, Nicole, honestly, I knew I wanted to be a coach and I signed up for a certification. I was like, wow. this fix all of the boxes. This is what I'm going to do. With a lot of uncertainty, right? Because right. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm not going to do this. But anyway, yeah. I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. I'm going to put that a link to that book in the show notes for everyone because I'm going to look for it as well. Because I think that's a tough part for people, right? Is Okay, I know I'm not happy where I am. I know I want something different, but where do I even go? Just like you said, especially when you know, perhaps our whole lives till now, we haven't really reflected on what do I really want because all of these expectations have come from outside us or from our own brains or whatever it is. And so, you know, it really is. I also like that you use the word exercise because I think of it this way. It's like we have to train our brains to be able to do these things. And that takes work, right? It just doesn't happen overnight that you're magically going to know, you know, what you want to do now that you're totally changing your mindset. Yeah, I love that. And you know, actually for a long time, you're not going to know. Right. I think we have to be honest about that. Like there is no magic pill that is going to tell you what it is you want to do. But another tip or trick that I find to be really useful is people very often don't know what they want, but they do know what they don't want. Hmm. Yeah. So you can start there too, right? Because very often what you want will be somewhere on the opposite, opposite end of the stuff you don't want. And sometimes I give that as um, a journaling prompt or an exercise to clients because that gets them even just thinking about not wanting one thing. And that opens up possibilities, but it's a journey. So it takes time. Yeah, I really like that strategy. And I can imagine too, it also helps to make that shift easier from the place of where you're comfortable. Because I'm guessing for a lot of folks, what I don't want looks a lot like where I am right now, mm -hmm. right? When we come mm -hmm. down to it, like I'm actually not happy where I am. And so even taking that time to focus on what don't I want, it might, you know, spark some ideas of for where I want to go, but also help me get away from this place of comfort because I'm not really happy where I am. Yeah, that's so true. I never thought of it that way. I think that's very true. Something that I've noticed as well when people do, do these kinds of exercises is you know, it's very easy to say there is nothing good about where I am. But when you really start to think about what is it really that you do not want in this situation, they get clearer and clearer. And the, the more clarity you have, I think, the more you can articulate what it is that you do and don't want. Because usually there are things in any situation that are okay, right? I help a lot of folks transition into new careers. Usually, and I tell them this when they start working with me, especially when they, when they have a nine to five job or something, I'll, I'll tell them, you know, a side effect 
of you doing this work is maybe, probably, there is a chance you're going to start your own business, which is not always the case, but which is very often the case. Or they pick up a passion they've had, you know, when they were kids or, right. you know, so stuff changes. Um, but, but so with the transition, the career transition, when people come to me, they will often say everything about the job is bad because they're fed up. It's been, it's been so long and they've been frustrated for so long that nothing is good anymore. But when we look at the details, we see a lot of things they want to keep or a way of relating to coworkers or the type of company or whatever. So it's not everything. And I think we have to sort of filter out the stuff that can stand, the stuff that can go. Yeah, I really like that. And I agree. I think we get into this pattern of seeing things as like great or awful, right? Of this like black and white world of like, I actually hate everything about this. And it's like, okay, no, not really, not everything about this. And what can I learn from that too? And I can also imagine that for a lot of folks that you work with, if they're working on career transition, it's not going to be immediate. And so finding those things that they like about their current job probably makes it a bit more tolerable in the short term, right? Like if I'm going to have to stay here until I can start my own side hustle or my own business, at least there are these things that I can focus on here that are going okay. Yeah. And, and that's so true. And also, sometimes we feel we have control over nothing. But when we really think about it, there is a lot of stuff where we can decide and take leadership. Even when, it, I mean, I'm not talking, of course, about really toxic job environments, really toxic bosses, because then I say, you know, the best thing to do is to find an ex- exit strategy and get out of there as soon as you can. But very often, it's not that black and white. It's more ambiguous. It's more, you know, a lot of different things. And being able to understand that you do have control and that you can change things for yourself to a certain extent, obviously, really buys you a little bit of time while you're figuring things out. Yeah, I love that. The other thing I want to get your thoughts on while I have you is that phrase, relentless productivity. I've heard you use it before. Can you tell me about that? Can we talk about what that means? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I can imagine everybody can think of something when they hear that, right? And that's because we live in the West and because we live in a culture that um, loves us to be busy, productive, on all the time, hustling, 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 you know, wearing it as a badge of honor. and. I know this firsthand because I was like that for a very long time. I followed in my father's footsteps and I thought work is what I have to do in this world. And that's how I gain, um, you know, love and status and all of those things. But the problem is it's unsustainable. It makes us really unhappy. It disconnects us from our body. It's very dangerous because it can make us sick. So because of all of those things, I really had to to learn the hard way how to slow down and stop getting myself worth from my work, at least from my work only, right? Because it's it, of course it's part of who we are. So working is is important, but um, but it's not the only thing. So that was the first lesson I had to learn, and then also I needed to realized that I was limited in the amount of things that I could do, especially in a day. 
not in a lifetime, not throughout a year, but in right. the moment. Because, you know, as, as workaholics, and that's definitely what I was, we're so in love with our to-do list. I don't know if, if you've ever done that. I mean, I know, I know a lot of people have, but, and I certainly have. It's like when you've done something, but it wasn't on the to-do list, you actually add it on the to-do yes. list. So you can. Yep. Totally done that. Yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> because that little, you know, <laughs> being able to pick it off is like, ah, oh, gives you such a good feeling. So, yeah. you know, I was really, really in love with my to-do list and reducing that to something that was manageable on a day-to-day basis probably has been one of the hardest things I've had to do in my life. And I mean it when I say it, because it's taken me years and years to get to that point. And still now, I will catch myself building up to-do lists again and being very proud of them, but then feeling so bad every evening when again and again and again, you know, you're not achieving anything that or not what you want that's on the to-do list. So the solution to that really isn't to change yourself, to find more time to whatever. It's just because there is a disconnect between what's actually doable as a human being and what you put on paper. So that's where things need to change. Yeah, I. this is something I've been focusing on for years as well. I am also a recovering workaholic and recovering perfectionist. And I know that's a that's a mental trap I've gotten into myself and see a lot of our community on this podcast get into of that. I have this giant to-do list and I did like 20 things today, but then I look at the 20 other things I still have left and I feel bad. I feel like I failed because I didn't get everything checked off. Never mind that this was totally unrealistic in the first place and there's no possible way I could have got this done. But we beat ourselves up, right? Because we feel like we're not doing enough. Yeah, and we really think the problem is with us. Yeah. Right. And it's so subtle, right? The way that, that we create this problem. We, and, and we add to it over time and over time. And we never stop and question the list or question the fact that we're actually not capable of doing all of those things. And do we even have to? That's another question, right? So one of the things that I have, um, folks do is I have them, um, and I'm, I'm not a diet fan, so I don't really like the way that I put it, but I put them on a to-do list diet. And I don't mean that in a diet way, so I really want to say I'm anti-diet, but for a couple of days, they're not allowed to put anything on a list and they're not allowed to do more. I see you smile. I knew you were yeah. going to like it, Nico. Yeah, I do. <laughs> you have to try it. But, yeah. um, and th- for a few days, they're only allowed to put like two things on their to-do list. Tasks, not goals, because that's also a trick of the recovering workaholic. Like, oh, but then I'll just put down, I only have one, so I'll put down, redo my entire website. Right. That's yeah. not going to work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so tasks, not goals. And only one, two, or three. And this only, oh, and this for at least three to five days. And the only goal you have for those days, and those need to be small tasks, right? Not tasks that will take so many hours. You have to be able to do one of them in what? 30 minutes, an hour max. Shorter is better. 
And your goal of those days is just to do those few things. There's nothing else on the list. Once you've done those things, you've nailed it. You're done. Because what we want to do is we want to give you or, or connect you again to yourself. Because one of the big problems with having these long to-do lists and not not doing all the stuff that's on them is in the morning you promise yourself something, but by the night time you have broken those yes. promises with yourself. So there is a distrust that that you know starts to happen between you and yourself. Because when we're honest, you know, at a certain time when we've been in that cycle for a long time, we know I'm never going to do it. I'm putting it on the list. Like you put it on the list at 8 a.m. in the morning and you know this is not going to be done today. But there is a compulsion somewhere that you have to put it down there. So what you haven't felt in so many days and often months and even years is the satisfaction of a finished to-do list. Right. So we want you first to really experience that because it's a fantastic feeling. And then once you've experienced that you can actually trust yourself, you can actually finish, you know, your to-do list, then we start to build it back up very slowly. Yeah. I really like that. I'm taking notes. I hope everyone listening is taking notes as well. I really like that idea of the goal of, you said, the satisfaction of a finished to-do list. And I think that is a really great strategy to reinforce because you're absolutely right is we're almost setting ourselves up for failure every day, right? And all that's doing is sending this message to my brain that why even try? So we get up and we feel exhausted and overwhelmed already because I know I have 40,000 things that I'm not possibly going to get done. And we've forgotten what it feels like to just finish something and be you know, happy, proud, satisfied with that, right? And not feel like, oh, I still need to keep doing or I need to do more. I love that. And what's really interesting about that is some people come to me and they've been in that cycle of overwhelm and procrastination because that's the result, right? Of what you were just talking about. You you get up and, and immediately you know what's the point, right? So then you don't find the energy you don't want to. So they're in a cycle of overwhelm and procrastination. And what's really interesting is when they've done their tasks for the day, whether it's one, two, or three, they have a renewed sense of energy that they thought they had lost. And so the, the deal is, once you've done your thing, you can stop for the day, you're done. But if you want to do something else, you're free to do it too. And what happens is usually they start working on stuff that had been really hard to work on. And it works because there is a sense of freedom that they didn't have before. Now they can choose to do it. Nobody's forcing them. And with nobody, I mean themselves, obviously, but right. You know, so, so, and, and I think that's so fantastic that, so, so what that means is we can put ourselves into these very tiny boxes and take away our own freedom and agency, but it's very easy to lift it as well too. Simple, not easy. Yes. Simple, not yes. easy. That is exactly right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I really like that. I agree. I think that's something that, you know, really contributes to a lot of that overwhelm is feeling like so much is out of our control. And we talked about that already. And, but what we can control is taking back that agency and taking back control of, you know, what we're actually setting those expectations for ourselves and what that really means. 
I love this. This has been so fantastic. Okay. My next question, you've kind of already answered, but you might have a second follow-up answer to it is a new question I'm asking everyone. If I was your best friend, what book would you recommend that I read? It can be fiction or nonfiction. Mm. Can I offer you two books? Yes. Or does it have to be one? No, I like books. I have a giant list. Add two. Okay. <laughs> so there is this really cool biographical novel that I read at the beginning of the year, which is by a Belgian writer, but there is an English version of it. It's called Mazel Tov, and it's by G.S. Margot. Okay. And I live in Antwerp in an area where there is a lot of um, Orthodox Jews and so the story of this author is when she was a nanny for an Orthodox Jewish family. And it's actually such a beautiful story of friendship and love and people coming together over generations and cultures and, and all of that. And it's beautifully written. So um, because I love history and culture and all of those things, and because, you know, it's so close to me. Um, and in Belgium, I thought maybe that could be something for you, Nicole. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that would be one. And then the other one is by, I think, Oliver Morgan. It's called, I think I have it here, Addiction, Attachment, Trauma, and Recovery. And the reason why I love this book is, because the author defends the the point that the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. Hmm. And I think that's such a great point. And, you know, addiction also in the book is much more than just a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction. It's also also being addicted to work. It's being addicted to, you know, food. It's being addicted to shopping. It's all of those things. All of these coping mechanisms that, especially when we are in this hamster wheel of productivity and always having to be on, will be present in many people's lives. So it's a beautiful book about connection and how we can heal each other. I love that. And I think that really fits with our discussion because I know when you were talking about having your to-do list diet, I was also thinking of it's almost like a to-do list detox, right? That's what it reminded yeah. me of. And so many of those connections between um, how our brains get into that pattern of addiction and reinforcing these behaviors over and over and over again. And it is a little bit that, right? I think, I, I don't know what you you think about that because you're very knowledgeable in, in that area, I know. But I know that some people, when, you're ta- when you take away their to-do list, they don't feel good. Yeah, you're taking away that coping strategy, right? Yes, that we've all exactly. been relying on. Yeah, I love it. Those are great recommendations. I'll put links to those as well for everyone. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Muriel. Oh, well, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. If folks want to find out more about you or they want to learn from you, where can they go? They can always find me on Instagram at Muriel Marie. And they can find a lot about my work and, um, you know, more about these thoughts and a couple, even a a free challenge on, on, on work on my website at murielmarie.com. Awesome. I'll put those links in the show notes for everyone as well. Super. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. It was fantastic to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, everyone. That's a wrap for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Nicole Byers, and you're listening to The Bold Life Podcast. Thank you.